I'm going to go ahead and jump right into the Word this morning. I know we got lots of announcements, and I I do pray, check into your bulletins. Um, You can look online. We always post all of the upcoming events online, Uh, but it always is amazing to me how many folks kind of come and say, well, I never knew this was going on. We put it out there each week, do our best, so got lots of stuff going on. Please try and pay attention and keep up with all that stuff and be involved in your local church. Uh. There are different seasons in life, amen? All kind of different seasons in life. You know what, just a general category, there are, are seasons of growth. You know, I think of maybe a young family bringing a child into this world and their, their family experiences growth. There's a, a season of growth in our lives. There's a season of famine. How many of us have been through a, a desert in our life or maybe even like a wilderness period in our life. Man, I've been through those. I've been through numerous wildernesses in my life, but there's a season of famine sometimes in our life. There's seasons of change, maybe a, a new job, a, a new relationship, or a change of some type in your life. There's a season of change in our lives, and you know that it's actually biblical that there are different seasons in our journey through this life. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says this, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Now listen to the different seasons. Verse 2 says a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. Verse 4 says a time to weep. There's a time in life to laugh. There's a time in life to mourn. There's a time in life to dance. Now, I'm going to stop reading there, but Ecclesiastes keeps going on and on with these different seasons in life. And I'm going to take a wild guess and say that most people in this room have experienced many of those different seasons in life. The scriptures are telling us that there are good times in life. There's going to be some good times in your life. There's going to be some times of plenty. Plenty of food, plenty of money. It's just a time of plenty. There's going to be a time of healing. There's a time for dancing. It says there's a time of embracing. There's a time of love. These are some of the good times. There's there's a time of blessing and joy. Sometimes life hands you a time of refreshing where you're just refreshed and everything is good and great. There are those times. There are those seasons. You go through those in this journey. But there are also some not-so-good seasons in this life. There is a time of sorrow. The Bible says there's a time of weeping. There will be a time in your life for weeping where you will cry because you are hurt and broken. And it comes over you, and that, I'm sorry to tell you this, brothers and sisters, that may be the season that you will have to go through. And listen to me, God has ordained it. If that's the season you're in. There's a time of mourning. There's a time of war. The Bible even says there's even a time to die. There is a season in your life where people may die. Where you may die. The Bible bluntly tells us there is a time. A season you will go through where you will experience these things. The Bible says that not only are there these all these different seasons in life but don't forget the very first verse that we read there is a purpose to that season many times we go through these seasons and sometimes the bad ones are are the most of the time when we question God and we think why and this isn't of God but here the Bible is saying nope you are going to go through those things there's a purpose for it if you're in one of those bad seasons there's a purpose for it Now, I genuinely hope and pray that you're in a good season of life right now. I do. I I hope you're in one of those times of embracing or plenty or joy and happiness and all that, the building up. I hope that you're in one of those seasons right now. But whatever season that you're in right now, please recognize that there is a purpose to it. There is a purpose. You see, God has this ultimate plan 
for our lives. And he takes us through these various seasons for a purpose. Now, my job is to preach the word of God to you. The, the, the biblical truths. Okay? And sometimes the word that the pastor preaches comes from personal experience. And today, this is one of those such sermons. Uh, it comes from personal experience. Now, I'm going to be honest with you this morning, real honest. My wife and I, and I, I dare say my family, we're coming out of one of those not-so-good seasons in life, one of those bad ones, one of the ones that I personally would like to do without, but God seems fit to just take our family through this season, and we are just coming out of one of those not-so-good seasons in life. I just read to you, Ecclesiastes said, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to lose, there's a time of war, and you and your family, you will go through a time of war. You will. And bless God, we went through one of those seasons. Brothers and sisters, some of those seasons are pretty ugly, aren't they? Sometimes life gets a little ugly, doesn't it? Now, I can come before you and appear like everything is put together but we don't know what's going on personally inside each other's hearts and our lives and our personal lives we we're so good at hiding it but I'm not hiding it this morning I'm here to tell you we went through one of those very ugly seasons in life and God ordained it God let it happen now I know some of y'all have been through them I, I think that I know some situations, some of you are, are in one of those ugly seasons even now. But remember, it's just a season. It's a season. It's not forever. The Bible says there are seasons to life. When we're in the, the bad seasons, the time of war and mourning and, and death and sorrow and tears, it's a season. It's not going to last forever. It's just a season. And it's for a purpose. Remember that. And my wife and I have been married for almost 23 years. And I'm just going to bluntly say this. It was our worst year of marriage. Now, it was not because we lost our feelings for each other. Not, not at all. Not because another guy came around or another lady came around. Not because of that at all. It was not because we strayed from God. Nope. It was from the pressures in life just mounting up. In this particular season that God said, son, you're going to go through this. It was the worst year we've ever had. Now, when you parent and you get to those teenage years, <laughs> it gets tough. You know, I, I love the little children in this church. I love them all. You know, what's funny is I, I find myself... You know, I'll say, I'll, I'll say to Shannon, you know, so-and-so, that little boy, he's my favorite little boy in all of New Hope. And, and, you know, this little girl, she's my favorite toddler in all of New Hope. And it's like the next week I'll say, well, it's this person, th this little kid is my favorite, or this little girl is my favorite. But I noticed over time, is they're all my favorites, all these precious little children that we have. But I say that because we have lots of families with these young, beautiful little children you all better be sowing the word of God into those little children while they're little because I'm here to tell you the water's going to get choppy soon. The water's going to get choppy and you have better sown in the word of God into their lives while they're growing up. Because when you parent, you get to those teenage years, it gets rough. I'm here to tell you the truth. Listen, when little Johnny is tempted to steal a cookie from the cookie jar, really the worst that can happen is he's going to steal that cookie, disobey, eat that cookie, and he's going to maybe spoil his appetite and dinner time's going to be ruined. Okay, we get all upset, but when little Johnny grows up and he gets a car and he gets a cell phone and he starts hanging out with other teenagers, then... It can get much worse than results of just spoiling the appetite or spoiling a dinner. Things can get much worse, much worse than just a, a messy room 
or someone doesn't clean up after themselves or left their toys out and you tripped on them. It can get a whole lot worse when you get to those teenage years. I am warning you as a pastor. These smartphones, brothers and sisters, how do you even parent against them? How, how do you? How do you even parent against them? Do you know the filth that is instantly accessible on these smartphones? Instantaneous. Instantly, it's right there. And you know, my wife and I, we would look at each other and we were like, we, you know, because when, sometimes when you don't know what to do, it's good to go to someone older than you that, that maybe has more wisdom. But my wife and I, we felt like we had no one to turn to, not because we don't have anyone wiser than us in our lives, but because we don't have anyone that older generation didn't parent against these things. There was no smartphones when I was young or internet when I was young. I remember my family finally got a computer and it wasn't even hooked up to the internet when I was a little kid. My mom and dad, God bless them, but they didn't have to parent against cell phones and the internet. We felt like we didn't even have anyone to turn to. What do we do? Look at these things. They're right in our home. We didn't even have that stuff growing up. I, I was racking my brain, but I, I believe the first cell phone that me personally that I ever had, I believe my wife and I got it when we were engaged and we, we shared this phone and it didn't even have internet. It was just phone calls. That's all it was. I, I was probably 22 or 23 years old. That's the first one I ever got. It didn't even have the internet. And now here these things are. They've come and they've taken over. And they are evil devices, believe me. They can be used for tremendous evil. Tremendous evil. Instagram, Snapchat, I'm here to tell you, those things are evil. Now, don't get mad at me, but I'm going to tell you this. I have heard parents tell my wife and I, well, I trust my child's privacy when it comes to their phone. I have heard those words. Here is my pastoral advice. I love you, but wake up and smell the coffee, man. Come on. Oh, you're calling my child evil? No, I'm saying your child is curious and foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You, you'd better make it your business to know what your kids are doing on those devices. You better make it your business because one day you're going to stand in front of God and he's going to say, I know it was difficult to parent against those phones. What did you do? And you can't say, well, Lord, it was too hard, so I just didn't do anything. You better do your due diligence and do the best that you can do. I know that these young kids are smarter than we are when it comes to phone, but you had better try something. Someone, if, if you're dumb when it comes to technology, go to a friend that's smart and ask them for help. But you better try something, because I'm here to tell you, foolishness is bound up in the heart of those children, and they're going to look at something. My, my wife and I were shocked, I think it was in maybe junior high, one of our kids in junior high, a girl sent stuff to one of my boys. A girl did. And we're, we're shocked, because you know, you're sitting there thinking, well, my son, he's just over there building Legos or swinging from trees. And then you find this stuff, and you're like, what in the world? Parents, I'm telling you, you better wake up and smell the coffee. This stuff goes on everywhere. Well, my son goes to church. Doesn't matter. It's going on. And you better address it as a mom and a dad. How's that for Father's Day? <laughs> Listen, these kids grow up, and they become teenagers. The game changes. It changes drastically. I got one that just graduated, and I got another one that's a junior now. And listen to me now. And then these kids, they, they grow up. They're these little kids that you love and you squeeze, and their little arms, little ears, little noses cute, and you chase them around the house and wrestle with them. And then they grow up, and well, then they got to choose a career path. Well, then they need a car. And then you need car insurance. And things start to get a little more technical. And then they get their first job. And then a girlfriend or a boyfriend can come on the scene. And all these things start to add pressure to a mom and a dad. Because you start to worry about your children. 
how they're going to grow up, what, what decisions are they going to make. Are they going to make a, a, a decision that, that messes up the rest of their life and you begin to worry about things because you, you got your heart and soul wrapped up in your family. And all these things start to add pressure. You know that a girlfriend or a boyfriend in, in your children's life can almost instantaneously undo two decades of sowing the word of God into these children. You, you, you spend your lifeblood teaching these godly principles. And if they get a bad boyfriend or a bad girlfriend, that can be all undone in a matter of minutes. And boy, I tell you, if that don't bring a parent some stress, that'll, that'll cause you some sleepless nights. As a parent, you start to wonder, are your kids that you've poured your life into are, are they going to accept Christ for themselves? Are they going to walk in it themselves? You see, when they're little kids, it's easy. you got no choice. Load up. We're going to church. But they get older. And they start developing this worldview. And you, you ask yourself, are they going to walk in the righteous path? You, they get older, become teenagers. This Bible is not very cool at that age. You know, when these kids are little, and my kids, they, they love Bible story time. It's not about Noah's Ark, Jonah and the whale, Daniel and the lion's den. Come on, gather around, kids. We're going to read this. Yeah, and they call, come running around, and everyone turn everything off. We're going to go through this. Yeah, all right. In, in my house, there was a, a handful of times where my wife and I would act out these little skits even. And the kids would have to guess stuff. And yeah, everybody loves it. It's a good time. And, and we would act these things out when they were little. But it's a different story when they grow up and they start seeing this world for themselves. And they're not little kids anymore. They start developing a worldview. They start hanging out with schoolmates. Or, or they go to a school that does not share the biblical worldview. They get co-workers that do not have a biblical worldview. And it impacts these kids that you've poured everything into. And they get their own worldview. And you know, young folks, they look out at this world and the whole world sparkles and glitters. And, and to them, all that glitters is gold. You know, they're not my age where we've seen some stuff. There ain't anything out in this world. But they don't have that perspective. And, and you start Wondering a little bit, man, are they going to believe this? Do they really believe it for themselves? This Bible looks like an outdated old book of restrictions to a young person. You know, they want to be free and go out and have fun and quit giving me all these rules and regulations. They, they grow up and they have to start figuring some things out for themselves. And then you truly question yourself. If you wasted all that time teaching them these biblical principles, it was it a waste. God, I, I thought you said, Lord, I thought you promised, Lord. And you genuinely question, was it a waste? All that time that I spent teaching, all that time I spent sowing the good word in, am I going to end up with nothing, with nothing to show for all that I, I tried, Lord, I tried. It wasn't perfect, but I tried. I genuinely did try. You will ask yourself that, parents. You will ask yourself those questions. You will. And they're tough questions. And they don't come in a, a season of plenteous and fun and joy and hugging. They come in the bad times. You will genuinely look yourself in the mirror and say, I don't know. I, I don't know. Sometimes life hands you one big giant question mark, and that's all you get. That's all you get. You know, I had a son that needed a car. I don't know if you've looked lately, but what was a $2,000 car is now an eight or $9,000 car. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but gas that was $1.99 is now $4.99. This stuff can drive you crazy. Your dad, you get these pressures added to you. Well, I got a son that needs a car, and he's going to need insurance. And then gas is $5 a gallon, and 
these things add up and, and things going on in your home and the, the, in your marriage and it just adds pressure and you're in this season where it's not very fun and you have lots of questions and no answers. But you see, dads, we fix things. I'll figure it out. My son needs a car, I'll figure it out. My son needs that, I'll figure it out. My son's going through this, we'll figure it out, we'll fix this. The dads, we're the protectors of the home, we're the defenders of the home. The Bible even tells us those things. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says this, And ye fathers, did you hear what I just said? Ye fathers, pay attention. Ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Dad, that's your job. Fathers, teach your kids godliness. Fathers, correct those kids when they're bad. Chasten your children. Dads, instruct your kids. You're called to. It's your duty. It's your job. It's your responsibility. Fathers. But, listen to me now. I'm going to be real honest. Painfully honest. How many of you know that us moms and dads, we can teach our kids the righteous path, but we cannot make them walk in it? Well, that's, a, that's a scary notion. I don't even like to say it, but it's true. You can make them come to church. You can make them clean your room. You can make them do all this stuff. As, as a pastor, I can't make you serve the Lord. We see it all the time. I, I come and I, to the best of my ability, I offer biblical truths each week, and you see some people, they might not say it audibly, but they really, they go, eh, I don't think so. And there's nothing I can do about it. Or you want to decide you want to quit coming to church? There's nothing I can do about it. As a husband, I can't make my wife serve God. I can't. I can't, and I sure can't grant salvation to my own children. I can't. That is beyond my abilities. I am not capable. But you know, it doesn't stop a dad from trying to fix things. It's in me. I, I'm very logical. If a problem lands on my lap, bless God, I'm going to try and figure it out. We're going to solve it one way or the other. And with these teenagers... I done tried it all, brothers and sisters. I tried it all. You can try punishment, yelling and screaming, threatening, grabbing hold of, shoving, you, you name it. You can try mercy, tenderness, hugs, threats, warnings, anger, under, being understanding. You name it, I done it all. My wife and I have tried all of those techniques. And you know, listen to me now, moms and dads react differently when kids go through stuff. Sometimes mama wants to grab and hug when dad wants to kick and punch. And, and then what happens is mom and dad don't see eye to eye. And, and then a disagreement happens between them. Things inside a home, I'll even say this, things inside a Christian home can get ugly sometimes. Y'all can tell me, not me, not my home, it's good all the time. Okay, I hope someday I can be like you. But sometimes in your home, in my home, it has been ugly. It has been ugly. Issues between mom and dad arise because mama, she wants to handle it tenderly and softly. And dad, he don't see it that way. He's ready to kick some rear end. And, and then mom and dad end up where there was no problem between mom and dad. Then mom and dad start butting heads a little bit. You know, church, all of my methods were not working. All of my dad methods were not producing the changes that need to happen in my family and my kids. And all of my dad abilities failed. They did. In this particular season that I'm telling you about, I'm being honest, it wasn't pretty. Not pretty at all. Embarrassing, discouraging, very sorrowful, lots of crying, Lots of question marks with no real answers. And then I got this goofy back injury. I know maybe you heard me complain about it. I know I've, I've talked with some of you. I carried this saw. I'll, I'll be quick about this. But I carried this saw from my neighbor's basement over to my house. Why I didn't get a truck or the four-wheeler, I don't know. It was there. Men are dumb. I just grabbed it and carried it to my house. And 
went to work and woke up the next morning and something had gone wrong. Those of you people that have hurt your back, I know we have many of those in here. You know what I mean. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. I had to get an MRI. Go ahead and make fun of me if you want to. I don't have a very high pain tolerance. I'm not John Rambo. I'm not. I wish I was. He's kind of like a hero of mine because I want to be like him, and I'm not. But I had to get this MRI. I know many of you have had an MRI, pretty much like they put you in a casket and then ask you if you're comfortable. You know, they stuck me in this thing. You doing okay, sir? And you got to act tough. Yeah, it's perfectly fine, you know. And they shoot you back in this thing. And brothers and sisters, if you've ever had that back injury that I'm talking about, I got, uh, they call it multi-level arthritis, bone spurs, uh, a bulging disc, and it's a degenerative collapsing. You know, there's supposed to be nice spaces in between your vertebrae where those pads are. Well, mine is going like that, and it doesn't fix itself. It's just that way, you know. And I lay down on my back, and that guy said, you got to hold real still. And he took me in that MRI, and I kid you not, it was the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. I know it's embarrassing because all I was doing was laying there. I mean, what the embarrassing part was, if you ever had an MRI, you could kind of like talk to the guy through some sort of speaker system. You know, he spoke to me, and it came through this speaker system. You're doing okay, sir? Yeah. It was embarrassing because I know he heard me going, oh, I was sitting there groaning the whole time because it was so painful. All I could do, and I kid you not, I was thinking about Jesus being crucified on the cross and what he went through, and then I started praying, and bless God, that did get me through it. But the guy, you know, all these weird noises happen, and then the guy says, okay, sir, round one is over, round two is longer. And I'm like, oh, man. I mean, it was almost comical. It was so goofy, but I made it through, and, you know, they had to go see all these specialists and maybe a surgery, which I may have to get someday, but not yet, bless God, and I would move from the bed at night. The problem was I couldn't sleep. I mean, it was so painful. In the daytime, it's not so bad. I could kind of get up and move around, and, but at nighttime, when I would go to lay down, I mean, it was like just Vietnam erupted in my spinal cord, and I would lay down with my wife for a half hour, and I'd get up and go to the couch. And I'd toss and turn on the couch. And then I'd get up and go to the recliner. And next thing you know, you know it's 3 in the morning. You know, i got to come to the church in the morning and, and try and do my job. And I mean, I've slept in, I mean, I've slept in weird postures like this just trying to get sleep, you know. And it was just all these things in my family going on in this season, and now I can't sleep anymore. And if you've lost sleep for any amount of time, it gets miserable real quick, amen? It gets miserable real, real quick. And this is something little, but you know how we're all quirky and we like our certain things. Well, someone recently had given me a study Bible. And I've been going through the study Bible and really, really enjoy this study Bible. I mean, it's awesome. And I take my study Bible and I lay it on my desk and then I get... This black Bible, this is kind of my everyday Bible, and I set it beside there, and I get my pens, my highlighters out, and I go slowly through this. I go back and forth between the two Bibles, trying to learn things, you know, just something I like and something I enjoy and part of my job and, and just teach me the Word and show me things, Lord. Let me glean some things out of your Word. Well, when I was sitting at my desk, you know, you're kind of bent over. It was like even that was taken from me because I could only last 10 minutes and, and just flare up what just happened in my neck and and Teresa would be at her desk, and I'd have to get up, and I'd go, Teresa, i got to go take a walk. My back is hurting so bad. And I would walk around the perimeter of the church hoping that it would just settle down a little bit. You know, if you have a back injury, it just flares up, and you've got to do something to just try to calm it down a little bit. And I would leave work early. You know, you leave work early several days, and you feel like some sort of lazy bum. And I missed a few days. I didn't even come in feel like a lazy bum because I'm just sitting home watching TV, you know. You know, when you have a back injury, you're not sick, you know, so you feel like, well, I should be at work right now. And here I am home watching TV, just sitting there, hoping that my back calms down. With, with all this stuff going on in my family. Uh, and then the tempter comes. You know he waits till you're down and out. Listen to this, Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. 
It says, and when he had fasted, when Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards in hunger. And when the tempter came to him. Do you see that? The tempter didn't come around till Jesus was all worn down. He hadn't ate in 40 days and 40 nights. You ever seen someone fast for an extended period of time or someone's went with no food for an extended period of time? They lose all their muscle mass. They don't have the energy. They're, they're just moving slowly. And when the tempter came, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. That piece of garbage tempter waits until you're at your lowest, weakest moment. And then he comes to you. He finds you. He finds you in that moment of vulnerability. He waited until Jesus was weak from fasting, and then he came to him. He doesn't come when you're on cloud nine. He doesn't come when everything's awesome and great, and God is good, and my family is good, and bless God. He doesn't come then. He waits till you're down and out. He waits till you've got some questions that you're not getting any answers to. That's when he comes. That's how the tempter is. He waits until you're vulnerable. But this tempter, he came to me. And you know what he told me? I got a bad memory. I do. I can barely remember anything. My wife yells at me all the time because I'm forgetful and she has to put everything on this calendar or else I'll forget all my engagements. But I remember, I remember exactly where I was. I was pumping gas down a fuel mart in New Concord and he came to me and he told me this. Even though you tried to teach your sons the Christian way, they won't walk in it. That's what he said to me. That's what he said. Loud and clear, they ain't going to walk in it. Everything you did as a dad, all that stuff you've taught, ain't going to work. Ain't going to work. They ain't going to live that way. They're not going to walk that way. You know, you know what he told me? He said, you could have raised them in a completely secular home, and you're going to get the same results. You're going to get the same results. You could have raised them with no godliness whatsoever, and it wouldn't have mattered because they're going to end up the same way. That's what he told me. And remember, I got these back issues going on. I'm low on sleep. I'm frustrated. My wife sad all the time. Kind of me and her button heads a little bit. Problems in my family. And that's what the tempter's telling me. They ain't going to walk in it. You're going to lose. Every little bit of energy you poured out, all for naught. You, you should have just raised them like every other family in the school district with zero godliness whatsoever. That's what he told me. And then, I even think the tempter pushed a little further. He tried to use, in a way, some scripture against me. Let me explain to you what I mean. Do you know there's qualifications to be a minister? There are qualifications. There are. One of them is you have to rule your household well. And the tempter came to me. And he said, hey, uh, there's qualifications in the Bible. And, and brothers and sisters, they are qualifications, not suggestions. They're qualifications. You have to meet them or you can't be a minister. And in my low point in my life, the enemy came and said, I, I don't think you meet them. And I called my dad up. I told him, like, Dad, I... I might be disqualified for ministry. And that's painful for me. That was painful. Because the devil was attacking my family and I couldn't shake him. I couldn't get rid of him. I couldn't fix it with my dad powers. My wife and I couldn't fix the problems. My household was going haywire. The peace was gone from my home. You ever had your peace taken from your home? It, when the peace is gone from your home, man, life stinks, doesn't it? It stinks. And here I got the enemy whispering in my ear saying, you're disqualified. You got to step down. You got to step down. You, you, ain't got, you, you can't meet the qualifications. Peace was gone from my home. I'm losing sleep. My back hurts all the time. All the time. Just this constant pain. My wife's crying all the time. My wife and I didn't agree on what approaches to take about certain things. And I couldn't fix any of it. Bless God, I tried, but I could not fix any of it. I'm dad, I fixed stuff, but I couldn't. I couldn't. 
It became hard to, hard to pray. You know, come here to the office and some days, you know, Rod's here, Teresa's here, Pastor Joe's here. And I'll come over, I'll go into this little back room back here, our little prayer room. And I come there so I can get away from everyone. And I've had lots of times of prayer back there, just me and God. And during this time, I'm not exaggerating, I'd go into that prayer room, I'd put on Christian music, and I would stare at the wall. Nothing would come out. I'd just stare at the wall. It was a dude sitting in a dark room listening to Christian music. That's all that transpired. It became hard to study. It just gets difficult. You know, you've read the Bible before. It's just like a bunch of words and numbers and sentences and paragraphs. And it, it gets difficult sometimes in those seasons. That was our season in life. It was a time of war, a time of mourning, a time of loss. And that was what we were in. You know what? There's a purpose to it, though. There's a purpose to it. If you're a Christian, that should be one of your foundational truths. There is purpose to life. There's a purpose to all this madness. So, my wife and I, we sought out some godly counsel. And this individual said something to me that hit me like an uppercut from Mike Tyson. Anyone ever seen Mike Tyson over the day? Man, he would swing from the floor clear up to the ceiling, and whoever was in his way got sent to the floor and taken out on a stretcher. When this man said what he said to me, that's how it hit me. Who here has had a faithful brother or sister in Christ speak a word in due season? Amen? You know that's what we're supposed to do to each other? Speak a word in due season. And this brother spoke a word in due season to me. And he's speaking, and he looks me in the eye and says, You can't fix this. Stop trying to fix this. You can't fix people. Give it to God. Let Him fix it. He fixes people, not you. When he said that, it's like a slug in the gut. And I looked at my wife, and we knew that was the word that we needed to hear. Because mom and dad, we're trying to fix things. Give it to God, he said. Stop trying to fix everything because you can't. Go ahead, keep trying, you're going to keep failing. That's why you're frustrated, because you keep trying, failing, trying, failing, trying, failing. Our mom and dads, we love our families. And we're going to help try and fix things. Sometimes as a mom and dad, you need to step out of the way. That was the God, godly counsel that we needed to hear. My wife and I, we came to church on an off day. Nobody was around. And I don't know about you, but I always feel like when you come into sanctuary, maybe you've had a chance to come into sanctuary when there's no one in here. But I always feel like it's very reverent or solemn or something about it. It should be that way also when the people of God are in here, mind you. But I came in here and it was dark and quiet, my wife and I. We came down right here to this altar, right here before this pulpit. And we turned everything that we had been trying to fix over to him. We did, and we meant it. It wasn't just a lip service. We meant it. We gave it all to God. I mean, we had tried everything. All the techniques you know as a parent, we had tried it. it we turned it all over. And I'm going to tell you this. That was the turning point to our season. Now, I don't mean everything was immediately fixed. As soon as we got up, all of our problems went away. No, no, this ain't no fairy tale. Fairy tale. This is real life, I'm telling you. But that was the turning point. I saw, I saw my wife's faith bolstered. She, she started saying, I trust God. I believe in God. And when you got nothing left, and you're a Christian, and you done tried all your techniques, why don't you go on to what you were supposed to do in the first place? Trust God. Have faith in God. But I saw that in my wife. She began praying more earnestly. And when the man sees his wife get encouraged, the man's going to get encouraged. It encouraged me. But I saw her become encouraged by the hand of God. You know what? We had found that little speck of faith deep down inside of us that we needed. How many of you know that all God needs is a little speck? 
That's all he needs, a little speck of faith. And, and he can work with that. Peace began to return to our home. The tears began to dry up in my home. We started sleeping again. Because we had given our family over to God. We had given them. Hands off. God, you're running the show now. You know, this co-pilot stuff. I tried that. It didn't work. You got to let him be pilot, co-pilot, the whole nine yards. You just sit there and be quiet. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus says, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to a yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible for you. Just that little speck. You notice that Jesus didn't say, If you have faith the size of a load, a dump truck full of faith, then you can say to this mountain, Be removed. He doesn't say that. He says a grain of mustard seed. This tiny little speck. That's all that God needs. And in that dark hour, that dark hour, sometimes, brothers and sisters, you got to ask yourself, do I believe this? What do I believe? You come to church every week, do you believe this or not? And my wife and I, we looked God in the face and we said, you know what? We believe. Now, it was only the tiny little speck. We didn't come out thinking, hey, nothing's wrong now. Everything is good. Nothing can get us. No, 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 no. It wasn't like that. We still had all the problems, still had all the issues. But deep down in the core of our being, we found that little speck of faith that says, you know what? God is able. Jesus says, all, all you need is that little speck. Not a lot of it, just a little bit. And God can work with that. That little speck, that's enough for God. But you've got to have that little speck. That speck is good enough. Hebrews tells us, he that comes to God must believe that he is. If you come up to pray to God and you're asking him for help, you better believe that he can help you. You better believe that he is able. You can't come doubting and thinking, well, I don't know if he can. I'm not sure. Find that little speck inside you that says, you know what, he is able. And when you find that little speck, man, the game changes. You, you might, just like the series I preached on Abraham, you might not have any, any evidence for it at the moment. When my wife and I came, when the sanctuary was empty and we prayed, we didn't have evidence. But that little speck of faith, something deep down says, you know what? I don't have any evidence, but I believe that he's able. I think he's going to get us through this. I think he's going to make a way. Brothers and sisters, listen to me now. God is faithful. He is faithful. He makes a way. I swear there's no way and he makes a way. To my human eyes, to my human ability, there was no way. But he made a way. Let God fix the broken stuff in your life. Not you. God. Listen to me now. You read the Bible, one of the overall themes in the Bible is God is a restorer. He restores. Someone just chatting with someone last week, I believe it was after the service, we was just chit-chatting and they kind of told me they're one of their life verses. Joel chapter 2 verse 25 says, And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm, the palmer worm. Th that's this divine ability that Christ has that he can restore that which is lost. I don't know how he does it. I can't explain it to you, but he has the ability. I'm here to tell you that he can. He can restore what was eaten away by the enemy. What you think is gone, what you think is lost, he can make it restored again. Christ has this supernatural ability to take what the enemy intended to be evil and he can turn it around and somehow it turns into a good thing. I don't know how, but he can do it. Romans 8.28, we're studying Romans next door on Sunday nights. Come be a part of it. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. All those things work together for good. The bad seasons, the rough seasons, the time of mourning and loss and sorrow and tears. They aren't good, but they work together to bring about good. 
God has the supernatural ability to do that, to perform that. In the midst of the season of war, mourning and loss, you can't see it all working together for good. You cannot see it. You're a human being. You're made of flesh and blood. You can't see it. We don't walk through saying, well, this is all going wrong. And my family's eroding away and I'm losing everything and I'm losing my mind. I'm in pain, but this is just going to work together for good. Amen. <laughs> you can't see it then. But you know, you ever heard the saying, hindsight is twenty twenty? It's like when you come out of it and you look back and you're like, it worked together for good. How, how in the world did that happen? You see, my wife and I, in the midst of all that, we're ready to compromise. We're, we're ready to make a deal. We're ready to, to settle, to make a plea bargain. We're ready to lower our standards. You know, let, let's just settle for this. Let's see if we can just get through and settle for this. I mean, this, this level here, that's good enough. We had hoped for this, but we'll, we'll settle for this. Brothers and sisters, God don't make any deals. He does not settle. He doesn't make a plea agreement. He does not lower his standards. It's going to be his way. You know God says to Moses, I am that I am. You know what that means? It means I will be who I will be. This is me, accepted or rejected, but this is who I am. I'm not changing. I don't make deals with anybody. I don't lower my standards for anybody. I am that I am. I will be what I will be. I am who I am, he's saying. He doesn't make deals. He doesn't settle. He doesn't compromise. He doesn't say, well, this is just good enough. God is who God is. And you need to believe that if you come to him praying and asking him for stuff. God began to return things that were lost to my family. He did. He began to return things that were lost. You know what's crazy is? He didn't just return them. He returned them and made them new. I, I am not kidding to you. Somehow that which was lost and taken from my family was made new and returned unto us. I mean, brothers and sisters, I, I'm, I, stuff happened and I, I, it's like I was reeling. What, what in the world is this God capable of? My goodness. There is no thing he cannot do. There is nothing beyond his limits. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. He makes all things new. If there's something in your life that's lost, dead, stolen, taken, broken don't forget the words of Jesus behold I make all things new he can make it new again he can make it new again if I can ask the band to make their way back, back please he began to bring us out of that season of loss remember I told you brothers and sisters it was a long season I didn't like it I didn't like any part of it but it was just a season if you're in one of them bad seasons right now, it's not forever, it's a season. And remember, there's a purpose to it. I began to see that all things do indeed work together for good. Of those that are the called, those that love God. They do indeed. That scripture's true. Romans 8, 28's true. I lived it. I experienced it. I saw what happened. And then, to, to kind of cap this all off. I was writing this sermon earlier this week. God did something that put his final stamp to, to close the chapter of this particular season in my family's life. Now, I'm not going to tell you what he did because it's kind of personal to me. But when he did it, I kid you not, I was beside myself with the power and glory of God. I was... I feel like I'm halfway intelligent. I, I felt like I couldn't even comprehend this being called God. How can you do these things? How did you do this? How did I get from here six or eight months ago 
to hear today. I, sometimes, brothers and sisters, all you can do is stand in awe of him. Amen? You know, this morning, sometimes Pastor Joe and I text a song back and forth on Sunday morning, you know, like to just amp each other up, which I didn't send them this one this morning. I should have. But there's an old song, I Stand in Awe of Him. You remember that song? That's the one I played this morning, showering, getting ready, driving to work, just standing in awe of Him like, like I'm some sort of dummy, like, holy moly, who is this God? I mean, the things that He's capable of, I, I'm just the things that go on. What, what I thought was going to be the product of my family, what I thought was going to happen, and then seeing what God did, I was reeling at the majesty of God. Just reeling, beside myself, thinking, what in the world? My wife and I stood and looked at each other and were like, can you believe this? No. Can you believe this? No. Remember, we were ready to compromise and settle and say, okay, just, just, let's just this. Well, God said, I don't make any of those deals. That's off the table. I reject that. God says, this is what I'm going to do. And bless God, he did it. And I am shocked at God. I, I'm shocked at this being we call God. There is nothing he can't do. Nothing he cannot do. Sometimes all you can do is look at God in awe. He has brought things full circle. Bless God, he took us out of that season. My, my back is flared down. I'm back to normal living. Praise the Lord. I even told my doctor that. She said, well, it looks like you're feeling better. And, you know, because I was maybe going to have to get this surgery. And, and I told her, I don't care if she made fun of me or not. But I said, ma'am, I had my church family gather around and pray for me. On a Wednesday night, they did. They gathered around and prayed for me. I'm telling you, that's when that healing in my back started. And I told her that. I didn't care if you're a loony, you're a weirdo. I don't care my back felt better because of it. And since then, it's been doing good. Bless God. Sometimes all you can do is look at God in awe. It's almost like shock and awe at His majesty and His power. He brought things full circle. My wife and I are nearly in shock. And all I can think of is this final scripture I want to close with. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And this is my verse. I just want to tell God how much I believe in this verse. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now... Unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, according to unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Th that's the God that we serve. He can do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. You see, we ask and think clear down here on this level, and God's like, nah, I can do clear up here on this level. Way above what all you can ask Him, way above all that you can even think. That's His abilities, that's His power. And it says, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout ages, world without end. Amen. Brothers and sisters, God is able. It's just a season, it's just a season, and it has a purpose. Can we stand this morning? As the band begins to play, as the, began, or the band sings, listen to me now. I want to encourage you. Do what my wife and I did. Come down here and give it to God. Turn it over to God. That thing that's beating you up, that thing, that, that season in life, you trying to fix things, you trying to fix people, trying to fix your husband, trying to fix your wife turn it over to God and step out of his way and let him do what he wants to do. Amen.